Aperture Priority Show Number Nine Workflow. Welcome to the Aperture Priority Podcast, an Avila Studios production where it's all about photography and fun. Now open up that aperture and let some creative light in. Hello and welcome to Aperture Priority Show Number Nine. And with me here today, I have my friend, Mr. Joe Inkelbrick. Hey, Tony. It's good to see you again. How's everything? Oh, everything's going good. Going good. I <laughs> I wish I could see our lovely blue hazy sky, but uh, <laughs> it's like California is on fire. <laughs> uh, yes, it's getting, I think it's getting worse, not better. I feel sorry for all those people who traveled halfway around the world to go see Yosemite. Uh, yeah, there's a serious fire going up there and I feel sorry for the people that have, uh, built, uh, cabins in the foothills yes. and, and yes. trying to enjoy the good life of mountain, mountain living and. Boy, mm. yes, yes, yes. So prayers with them and, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully those people can get a shot of the, when, when you go through the infamous tunnel, when you see, uh, the valley floor of Yosemite oh. the first time, it's quite a view, but right now it's, it's a, ooh, yeah. I don't know how close that fire is to it, but. Yeah, it's uh, it's a day to day thing. Yes. Well, today I thought we'd start. I I, I don't want to talk anymore. People are probably say those Nikon guys about because the, the biggest news right now, I know it's the Nikon mirrorless. So I thought I'd go today with another uh, question we got from another person in our photo oh. group, Mister Felix. Okay. And he asks, "Is it true you can do all the procedures in Photoshop that the plugins do?" And what he's talking about, uh, and this also pertains to Lightroom, we've had all these, the, the over the years, we had the Nick filters and mm, all yes. these other filters. Right. Mm, well, exactly. The uh, Nick, which then was sold to Google, which then made it free right after I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, paid my 50 bucks or whatever it was. Uh, because you know it was it was a new gee whiz bang uh, shortcut, and I thought hey, it's pretty cool. And uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But <clears throat> and then the Topaz Labs, and uh, uh, at the time there was what Picture Perfect, which has become on one, had some nice plugins. And so the question is, can though can you reproduce the effect that those plugins uh, have with just using Lightroom or and, and Photoshop? And and the answer is yeah. You yeah. can, sure. It's, I mean, because, well, if you think about it, the plugins are using Photoshop to do the the magic behind the scenes. You know, the wizard behind the curtain is using the same program. So the difference is, is that uh, the program has the algorithms to do what you what you want to have accomplished. So you can learn how to do those things, yes. Yes, and I do agree with that. Uh I would have to say, because I go back with Photoshop back to 1992. And back then in a graphic design world, you would get this plugin. It was called Kai's Power Tools. Oh, I remember that. That was before layers was yes. a feature of, yes. what, what was that, 3.0 or something? 3.0 layers came out and I thought that was the best thing ever. It's like three dimensions. Wow, who would have thought? And if, and if some of you don't uh, realize, there was no history there was one undo in Photoshop back then. Oh. And with no layers, uh, it was, 
in projects, I would save one, then two, then three, every half hour. <laughs> yes. And if I made it to the end and then I would just, okay, I have one composite. I could throw the other ones out. I, uh, I had the same workflow that you did. And, and I remember the Kai power tools and I thought power, uh, Photoshop was revolutionary. And it wasn't shortly after that, I started selling my darkroom equipment, not knowing, well, in hindsight, I guess it was, you know, but, but dark rooms are coming back now, but, uh, I, I digress. Anyway, that was an amazing, uh, uh, plugin. So, yeah. That that's one of the beauties of Photoshop is the ability to have these third party plugins, and that's mm-hmm. that was the genius of Adobe at the time. So the answer is uh, Felix, yes, absolutely. Now a lot of those uh, plugins are now built into Photoshop over the years. I remember the the next biggest plugin that I liked, and this was a godsend when I worked at Justin's, and when they hired me. Uh, it's because my background is a graphic artist and a new illustrator, but the big plus, they needed another Photoshop person. Mm-hmm. So they hired me to do, when I was working on the book covers for Jostens, that was, uh, and for some of you not familiar with the name, they do the yearbooks for the high schools. Uh, and all over the st- United States, the yes. United States and even the uh, books for the military. Uh, and so they got me to do all the uh, Photoshop uh, work in one of the filters that I loved. And it was expensive. It was like a $500. I think it was called uh, Mask Pro. Mm. For Alpha Channel? Yes. Masking. Yes. That is incredible. Oh, my God. That saved me hours from going in there. with And and it was a, quite a, a, a change going from where I worked at this little mom and pop's uh, shop in downtown uh, Visalia because I had a, the first Wacom pin. Mm. So I got used to doing that. So yeah. when I went to Justin's, it was like, no Wacom, use mouse. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I had to draw around and I would complain. And then finally they go, Hey Tony, what do you think of this thing? Buy it. And what? they got it and I got to use it. And that just saved That's- ton of time you know as a product photographer when uh, same experience i the alpha channels and doing video work you know using photoshop to produce uh, logos for video work that alpha channel mask uh was mass pro was a godsend it yes. saved uh, now people say they look they hear it and go oh, what are you talking about photoshop does that right. automatically what are you talking about right it wasn't always so it wasn't always so so over time either you know if, Adobe says, eh, let's incorporate that. Yeah, and yeah, and it, it only makes sense so you don't have to keep buying these third-party plugins. And over the time, I had the same thing. I, I didn't, I was looking to get the next stuff. I wanted Silver Effects Pro and Sharpening Pro, I think it was called, or Sharpen Pro, I think it was. One oh, of, in the next suite? Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, my friend Johnny shoots me a text go to this site right now and download it's free. And I was like, get out of here. And I went there. It was like, oh, I downloaded. Absolutely. Then after a while, it's like, I don't know what version of Lightroom I, I updated to. It's like, I don't think these are working anymore. So I just kind of forgot about Nick. Right. Well, the, the, the news is, oh, by the way, is the old Nick, the, the one that Google acquired and they, they never updated it. They, they still work with uh, Photoshop 2018, CC 2018. Okay. At least they do for me. I've I've read some stories that they're not working and, you know, the results may vary mm-hmm. according to individuals. But DxO bought Nick and last week or two or last month, no, June, June of this year, 20, 2018, they 
released the new version of Nick. But um, so the role of plugins is an interesting concept. And and today we're going to be talking about workflow. And, and they have a place in your workflow, mm-hmm. but they're not the workflow. They're, they aren't the uh, end of the means. They're, they're just a means that you can use to, to achieve it. And like every other tool, um, I, how can I say this? I think there are more people that buy the shiny new object because it's shiny and new than they really do for the long-term uh, advantage it offers. Yes, that is true. Especially like when we're, we're in our photo group. Oh, I just got that. And they're like, it does what? Oh, I'm getting it. And it's, yeah. Well, yeah. if it fits your workflow and it's, yeah. it, it contributes to the value of your experience and your photography, yeah, oh, be go for it. Go for it. Exactly. So workflow, I guess that's the topic of today. What is workflow? It's, um, well, workflow is what? the Everything you do from the acquisition. Yes. To your end. In so result, whatever that is, hanging, that is, hanging it on the wall, giving a DVD to a client, or putting it on a video, whatever you're, and so workflow. So as I was getting ready for this, it occurred to me that workflow, there's something that actually happens before you you push the shutter in workflow, and before you actually, yes. and that's that that concept of understanding your equipment, and we talked a little bit about that uh, in our in the last show. And that is acquiring the skill set to know what your gear is capable of doing. And I, I was thinking about the difference between talent and skill. Talent is is what you're born with. You know, you, some people have a athletic talent. Some people have mathematical talents. Uh, and some people have an artistic talent. I mean, we all have we all have a little bit of it. I mean, every child that goes through school has an artistic talent. But some of us have a real true gift for being able to analyze a, a scene, whether it's a, a group portraiture or a river in a mountain or a bird in flight and being, and they have a real gift for knowing what is beautiful about it. But that's not enough. You have to have the ability to transfer that image into Pixels. Yes. Okay. So we're in the digital age now, and you're not going to capture this on film unless you're, uh, you know, the the nouveau a hipster, a hipster <laughs> who's doing the things we used to do in the '80s. And you know, God bless you. Continue and go forth and prosper. But the, if you if you're like most photographers, you're going to be capturing that image in in a pixel environment, in a digital environment. And so here's here's the first step in workflow. You know, is is know know your equipment. And that extends to the computer because everyone talks about the brand new whistle and bells on the brand new camera bodies, right? Mm -hmm. But how much time do you spend with that camera compared to how much time you spend with the computer? Mm -hmm. So there's a real skill set that needs to be learned about, uh, about that. And, and again, a lot of the work that I do is helping photographers with that end of the business is, is file management. Oh, yes. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say to me, I can't find this image. There's, a, I, I have it on my wall there, and I just sold it for a million dollars or whatever, <laughs> you know, fill in the blank, and I can't find it. I don't know where it is. And I, help. Well, so file management is actually the first step in workflow. 
So where do you store it? Exactly. And where do you, how do you retrieve it later? And so I've written articles and blogs about that very subject. And there's a quite a debate. I shouldn't say a debate. I'll make it real simple. As far as finding your photos in the future, you know, four years from now, it's not uncommon to acquire a hundred thousand images in a very short time, right? Easily. So, do you have the memory capacity, Tony, to remember the the date and the time and 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 the, and the name of the file that the computer randomly assigned to your image through four years from now? Of course not. No, because your mind, you know, just isn't going to have that kind of. Ca- well, if you do, we need to talk off the off the microphone because <laughs> we can make a living doing something else anyway. <laughs> So you have to have some kind of file management strategy. And there's only really basically two ways to do it. You, you do it by naming your folders a certain way, or you use me- metadata, tagging it with keywords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to simplify life there, if the larger your library, the more important it becomes to tag it with metadata. Mm-hmm. Because the file system convention starts to break down when you want to find... Uh, because you only have one name and you can only search for one name, but that name may have a date or other associations with it you can't search for. So it's all about finding your files later. Yes, I agree. And, and it's something that, uh, and I'm going to, we're going to come into it in a bit that, uh, is my frustration with Lightroom. And, uh, I'll talk about the little workflow that I started. It works great for me. Then there's an update and then by default, Lightroom puts my images somewhere else. And I yes. can't figure out what did I do other than forget I updated it because I figured it, it's not going to mess with it. And so it, there's that because it named numbers its its way. Yes. And I started going in, doing it things my way, and it drove me nuts. Oh, wow. And right now, and when we get to that, uh, especially raw editing, I still, I'm I'm going to test it. I, I I right now I use Lightroom and I use On One. Mm-hmm. I love them both. Right, one does one thing better than the other. That I can't class my brain why why mm-hmm. that is. This one does it. And last night I had I just updated the new On One and I brought up some images I took uh, last uh, April up in uh, not, not Dry Creek. It is a dry creek. Dry creek road. It was yeah, dry, dry creek, creek, right? Yeah, it was dry creek. Uh, a local valley in the foothills that's famous for wildflowers and what have you. Rattlesnakes. And rattlesnakes. <laughs> At certain times of the year, yes. yes. So I brought up an image and I, I bring it up and uh, I found in certain, and that shoots certain images because of the, the lens I use. When I convert it to black and white, I get this, what I expect. From the same shoot, a different scene, I don't, but I open up in Lightroom and I get that. Hmm. And uh, I'll get, we'll get more into it that we've talked about. So it's, it's a difference in the image uh, being displayed. It's a difference in, in one thing that I I really see it's some, and I don't use presets, but it has some things you pick your camera profile and everything. Oh, yes, yes. And I start seeing that haloing effect. Halo, okay. Well, that yes. on black and white images. Yes, I, I, I follow you. Okay, I got it. All yes, right. and it it boggles my mind. So let's let's just talk about that. You know, uh, most photographers don't sit down 
with their workflow and answer this very basic question. What do you want to do with this image in the end? Mm-hmm. And so when you're taking the photograph in the field, what, what's the end result? What, what do you want to do with it? That really dictates your, your workflow. So let's assume for this um, conversation that we're talking about a, a landscape photographer. And landscape photographers, you know, the active landscape photographer will acquire a, a thousands of images. They'll do bracketing for HDR, perhaps, or a, a focus stacking. So they're, they're, you know, they're not shooting just one image of a of a landscape. And so they they put those on their hard drives, and they're and let's say that they want to use a good file management system, so they tag them with multiple keywords so that they can retrieve them later. And we live near Yosemite, so you know we we live. There's a certain date we would put on there uh, a, a location. It, it's, it's Yosemite, but maybe we wanted to be a little bit more specific because we shoot a lot of pictures in Yosemite. So we would even put a third tag on there that says uh, Bridal Veil Falls. So now you, now you can search your entire hard, hard drive for that keyword that has that you'll find every occurrence of Bridal Veil Falls, whether it's in 2012 or 2020, you'll, you'll, you'll find the image. But if you don't start with that concept in mind, it's time-consuming and, and frustrating yes. to go backwards and do it. Yes. So that's my first key point is if, if you plan to build a big library or, or if you have aspirations for being a serious photographer, check out uh, the keyword tagging so that you can find these files in the future. So there's really what basically four steps to, to the workflow, the acquisition, and let's assume that you've got it right in the field. I don't know about you, Tony, but I, I've been with a lot of photographers and a lot of videographers who have made this comment, I'll fix it in post. Yes. And I want to <laughs> strangle them. Yes. Yes, I, I hear that so much. And uh, I, I've came up with this coin, how I label people, uh, photographers. And I say, and I somebody asked, I was talking to them and said, what do you mean? And I told them, you're either a photographer or a Photoshop shooter. And he goes, what do you mean Photoshop shooter? You're the person that's going to take that picture and say, okay, I'm going to fix it and fix it in Photoshop. Right. Yes. And I, I, it's just, it's, but see my, and, and I think you're speechless like me. Yes. (laughs) When I learned it and I was disappointed because I thought we were going to do dark room work and we're shooting slide. And my teacher says, no, you're going to learn exposure. If you can expose slide film consistently, there's no latitude. You're either on or off. Exactly. And I appreciate that. And that helped me. But when I see that, it's like, okay, it's like, go ahead, uh, spin your life, trying to fix your image because Again, if, if if you have nothing else better to do, and that's what you love, but to me, it's, it's say you, you, you did a, jo- a job for somebody and you shot 100 images. Yeah. You, you're going to put all those images and it's like, how long is it going to take you to do that? Right. I mean, it, going back to the uh, a wildlife photographer, I mean, it, if you want, if you're a wannabe wild, or, or portrait photographer, all right, if you're not keenly aware of your background, and the bouquet of the background or the foreground. And you take these pictures because you're so focused on the face 
of the animal or the face of the human, and you don't notice there's a very unattractive foreground, you're going to be spending a lot of time cloning that out. Well, if you just moved your camera three inches to the left, that's what we mean by getting it right. Yes. In video, in the early days, man, you know, white balance was so critical. Well, it's still critical today. But if you didn't set that white balance, you can't fix that in post per se unless it's time consuming. So quit. You know, what it is, it's intellectual laziness on the front end. Because if if you can't take 30 seconds to evaluate the scene on the front end because you're lazy, uh, intellectually that is, and you want to spend two and a half hours in front of a computer, I mean, okay. More power to you. Yeah, you just go right ahead. So getting it right is the first step of workflow. Or the next step, I mean. Let me bring up a little... When I started working at Albert's studio doing all their digital imaging, mm-hmm. you know, the cloning and everybody would bring, because at the time we were, we were the only person in this area that had the system. I would, every day, my routine was cloning, cloning. You know, it's, I got to the point it would burn me out. And one day I was on Whitendale and Mooney and I was right there at the red light. I was going to make a red turn. And at that time, Mooney was really beat up. So it's a summer day, hot day. Yeah. And I'm looking at all the cracks and I'm sitting in my car, clone, clone, cloning, cloning. And I'm like, that's it. You're, you're spending done, too much in front of the computer. It's like, you, you need to step away. Uh, yeah. You need the heel brush at least. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, that, that drives that. It's one of the things, my pet peeves when I hear that, it's like, Hey, just take two steps to the left. Yeah. It's, it's no big deal. Exactly. Uh, I think the best advice I ever received was walk around and find the best uh, place to take the photograph, you know, on your knees, standing up tall, waist level, wherever, and then come and put your tripod at that level and set your camera in that space, that three-dimensional space that you visually saw. But do the walk around, you know, don't just pull up to the beautiful scene and go, oh, and just be overwhelmed by the beauty. Take a few seconds to evaluate it. Yeah. And one of the things I'd say, the first step I do in my workflow, I go back to the back of my camera. I mean, it's a new camera. The first thing I do, I look at color space. Uh, well, first thing, if, if whatever comes first, I'll put it on raw. Right. Then I'll put it in a color space, Adobe 1998 mm-hmm. as, a, as the default RGB. Right. And then the highest bit level, which I think in most cameras is 16 now. 16 is the mouse. Yeah. 14 or 16. 16. And I'll put that and then I set it. So what what that does for you is it creates more uh, choices from the camera's color palette and you can create more variations of tone and color in, in your image. Right. So, the that's important is to set at raw, but a lot of photographers say, why, why am I shooting raw? Because you, you have a bigger file, it's flat, it's lifeless, it's dull. And mo- a lot of uh, younger photographers look at that and they go, the JPEGs look so much better than the raw. Well, the raw is like a blank canvas. Mm-hmm. The JPEGs have already been processed. They've already had some, something in this case, exactly. the camera has made some adjustments to that image. Exactly. And and that's fine. And if you uh, if you don't intend to do any editing, uh, if you intend to shoot and hand over the, the images right away without you looking at them or touching them, yeah, JPEG, 
So if you're not going to do any editing with Photoshop or on one, yeah, JPEG is probably a decent, uh, a, a decent choice. Most serious photographers, though, they want to do some editing because that's part of the workflow. Exactly. So getting those images off the camera from the, the, the compact the CF card or the SD card and where you put them and how you are, uh, organize your files is important too. Yes. So there's, there's three or four major uh, programs out there that will help you organize your files right now. Uh, Bridge, Adobe Bridge product is a file browser. It's a true file management system. Uh, Lightroom is not a true uh, browser. It's, it's an organizer. And on one is also a browser, but it also has some uh, organization features to it. So in my personal workflow, I use Adobe uh, Bridge a lot for managing my my files because it is so straightforward. You put that SD card in the camera, the reader, and Bridge puts it in a predictable place. It's stored by year, by week. I can tag them, and then thirty. You know, 30 minutes, I can do an entire SD card full of, of, and then the important part is in 30 minutes, I can do all that. And then I can find them Yes. in the future. Yes, totally agree. So what Lightroom does though, Lightroom doesn't uh, copy your files into one location like Bridge does. What Lightroom does as is that it, it create it scans your hard drive. It finds all the images that you've told it to look for in the places you've told it to look for. And then creates a thumb a thumbnail of that image and says, "Okay, I know where that image is. The computer knows where that image is, and you don't have to think about it. It just does it." The only disadvantage to that is when it comes time to back up those files because you don't know where they are. Yes. The, yes. the computer does, but you don't necessarily do. And so. I, that's why I favor slightly favor the bridge method of browsing where I know where the files are. I I know exactly where they are on those hard drives and I can back them up and have uh, a way of saving them. So workflow is about protecting your assets, right? Right. And being able to back them up. And I look your idea. That's I used to do everything in bridge and I used to use just the raw plugin in uh, Photoshop till I started saw the shiny and I thought, okay, Lightroom is going to be the way to go. But what I could tell you, and some of you Lightroom users may have gone this a year ago, uh, my uh, external hard drives on the server were getting old. And mm-hmm. I had converted an old uh, Mac G4. And that thing worked 24-7 for probably more than 20 years as a server. So I figured it's getting old. Yeah. And so I went to this, I, I, I use the Synology server right now. Mm-hmm. It's got two four gigabyte drives, so it's got the, the redundancy and everything. There's one little key feature. So when I'm switching over, there's a way to do it, and I can't remember what I did. When you switch, you have to tell Lightroom, because Lightroom's going to be looking for the old server. Right. And you have to direct it, and then it brings everything back. Right. If right. you don't do the right steps, it's going to say, "Oh, they're the pictures." Yeah, I don't, I don't know where they are. Yeah, and you're even though you're saying no, they're right here, and it's like, and that's that to me. I'm going to start getting away with that, and I'm going to go back to the bridge method. Right. Well, it's it's what I have 
Now, Lightroom has evolved. Lightroom is more and more capable every iteration. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bridge has always been that ugly, you know, it's just, it's just a brute for, for file management. There's a little bit of a learning curve to understand file management. But let me tell you, if you learn how to use uh, Bridge as a file management tool, that will help you in all aspects of your computer file management, whether you're a, a PC or a Mac person. Because if you're going to use Finder or Windows Explorer, it's the same skill set. Yes. And so it, it's transferable to other aspects of computer use. Right. And I, we know what I like also about the bridge. I could click on something and I could see the thumbnail, even in uh, my other aspect of what I do, graphic design. Oh, that's an illustrator file. I could see the thumbnail. That's the cover I did for this book. Right. So it's all there. And it's, I love it. And it's funny because I opened it up for the first time, I think last week. And I'm like, hey, this is nice. Why am I using Lightroom? Yeah. I'm always swearing at it, you know? And yeah. it's like, I do like Lightroom. Don't get me wrong. But there's there's certain little things that it does that I just go, I, I just have to go, go outside, get, you know, go to Starbucks, get a coffee, chill out. And, you know, because yeah. it, it, it did something you didn't like. And, Right. Well, uh, getting back to the, I made the comment that I've had photographers call me and say, I can't yes. find this image. You know, it's hanging on my wall, but I don't know where it is. So in observing their use of Lightroom, there's, there's no subdivision. Every photo is in the light strip is in the, yes. And, and so they have 10,000 images. They have to yes. search through to find the oh, one. Yes. Well then, they don't actually find the raw image. They find the one that they worked on. So understanding where your files are on your computer is important in the workflow because you want to back them up and you want to be able to find them in the future because if you're, if you're selling something and, or this is even more important, a new product rolls out or you develop a new skill set. You, how many times have you gone back, Tony, into an older image and go, you know, I could work on this knowing what I know now. Right. And we'll go back to Halos, for example, that uh, these these plugins. So the sec the, the next step is you got file management, and then the second step is is the basic editing or the the image preparation. And when you use Bridge, you call a, uh, a Adobe Camera Raw from within Bridge, and it brings up the, the the ACR Adobe Camera Raw, and it has all the basic functions. And by the way, now with the latest iterations of Lightroom, the Lightroom develop module is identical to the ACR. They're one and the same. Lightroom didn't used to be that way, but it is now. And so, you know, the basic adjustments, white white balance, uh, uh, exposure, highlights and shadows, all, all that stuff. You know, you just do the basic stuff. All there. Right? It's all there. Uh, you can do spot removal. There, the, the, the dehaze function on on the ACR is much improved. It's actually usable now. So all these things are done before you even open up Photoshop. In fact, uh, I used to spend probably half or 80% of my post-processing editing in the ACR module. Then you open up in Photoshop. And the third step is what I call the artistic element. Uh, This is where, you know, everybody can do the basic adjustments. You you know, white balance, exposure, you know, the, the, everything's pretty standard stuff. It's pretty, pretty much a workflow. And you can look online for specific steps on how step-by-step, how to do that uh, 
ACR or Lightroom Develop Module. But the artistic element is your eye bringing out the the intent of the image, and that's that's the important thing. So, in Photoshop, we use adjustment layers or we use uh, plug-in filters from time to time. And what I've noticed by own personal experience with, and I'm, I'm going to pick on Nick for a minute because Nick is dead. The old Nick is dead. Mm-hmm. Long live Nick, <laughs> the, the new version. But it, two things that Nick would do that would kind of drove me crazy. Well, one was it would oftentimes, well, I would almost say every time, introduce noise, noise. into mm-hmm. the image. If I use the HDR, was it color effects? And then the HDR effects pro mm-hmm. and the HDR was especially uh, an issue with the shadow noise. And the other thing that Nick would do is create these halos you're talking about. And basically it's just the, uh, the, the structure, the, the detail is being overdriven and it creates a halo at the point of contrast between oftentimes between the sky and the foreground. Yes. That's the most typical. And, and you know what, there's workarounds. You can, you can, there's, ways to use the defringe tools to bring those down and what have you, but it's just another step. Exactly. So the artistic element and the, the, the artistic edge is, you know, consider what do you, what is it you, you started taking this picture? Why did you take this picture? And what is the end result? And then I use adjustment layers to create depth by bringing out the shadows and the highlights and which is equivalent to dodging and burning using a adjustment layer for curves and levels. I can remove unwanted elements, you know, getting back to cloning. Yeah. You know, there may be some elements in there that like contrails in the sky or uh, oh, whatever, yeah. you know, by the way, that's a separate topic, but you know, I, I, I'm not a purist, you know, it, it, I know some photographers that say when I push the button, that's the image, whatever mm-hmm. comes out, because that's the way God made photography is that you push the button and whatever Back in the days of film, that was the way it worked. I says, no, no, it wasn't. Ansel, Ansel Adams, the great landscaper, spent hours in the darkroom, right? And frankly, no two of his images of the same negative looked exactly the same because he burned and dies and masked all these other things. The artistic edge. And another thing about Ansel Adams, I was going to bring it up earlier when we were, uh, were talking. He, I think he was the one that came up with the zone system. So right. when he would go out, he would say, you yeah, know, zone 12. He had that, that knowledge. That skill set, right. Yes. So he, he had that. And that's, that's something when we're out there looking. And I know some people say the JPEGs are beautiful and everything. But the way I look at it, it's like, and, and, and I shoot Fuji. And Fuji, their cameras are known, if you put it in the black and white setting, that their JPEGs are beautiful great contrast but the way i look at it what's going to make you separate from everybody else what's your interpretation is it the camera's interpret which is fine but maybe you had a different interpretation of that scene that you wanted to turn it black and white shooting in raw gives you that flexibility to to do that in my opinion and i won't get too much into raw versus jpeg but i i just will shoot raw and, and and I want control of it because that's me. Other people don't, and that's fine. But me, I want to control it. Now, the one interesting aspect in the future, what I may do with my X-T1, 
I may have it converted. Uh, you can convert older uh, digital cameras to infrared photography. They mm-hmm. take out the, oh, yes. the filter. Right. But there's this one place that I found they will make your sensor shoot true black and white. And only black and white. Exactly. You just got to understand that. <laughs> Uh, and I may do that. And I'm really curious to see the difference between getting an RGB image, turning it to a grayscale right. or starting off as a true grayscale and seeing where, what, what's now capable of what, what different dynamic range did it capture in just grays, shades of gray. So that's something that I, I, I want to do in the future. When I have some extra cash, because I think it's about like a $500 conversion. Hmm. And will they do that with any camera? I mean, any... I, I believe so. I you know, there's a... Behind you on the shelf, there's an old D200, you know. I'm oh, wondering, yes. you know, yes. maybe I should... I have an old D200, yeah. yeah. I, so maybe I can take that 200 and, and have it converted. Exactly. Uh, yeah, because right now, I know they sell cameras converted on this website I'm, I'm trying to find if they do the conversion you could buy conversion kits but i don't trust myself oh my goodness no <laughs> I, I may be throwing my d200 across the room afterwards <laughs> but uh i'm curious to see that you know to get that but uh another thing on workflow i kind of wanted to bring up and i have many photographers will tell me this i have a lot of friends they'll buy a laptop brand new the greatest thing since sliced cheese. And they're like, it's slowing down. And I go, where are you saving your images? And they're like, what do you mean? I save them on a hard drive. <laughs> That's why it's slowing down. Yeah. I, I would think, I always tell them, what's going to happen if your hard drive crashes? I'm going to lose all my pictures. Mm-hmm. You may want to find a separate storage system, you know, and, and, and then put them there. That way your computer doesn't slow down. and let me tell you, for, for, for as long as I've used computers, I, hard drives eventually crash. They, they you know. Yes. They're, they're, they're going to go. Eventually, yes. They're going to go eventually. You know, that, that, that's an interesting point, too, because in workflow, you know, one of the final, the, the final steps is output. But what is it going to? Is it going to a print or a monitor, you know, mm-hmm. web use? How is it going to be consumed? And... You and I have both done some work where someone will bring a photograph from, from 1882 and it's faded and yellowed, but guess what? That black and white still has yes. enough information there that you can scan it and bring it back to life. Well, you're not going to bring a hard drive a uh, hundred years into or 150 years into the future and say, yeah, my family portraits are on here. Could you please? Re-? No, exactly. that thing's going to be dust. Yes. So finding out how, or deciding on a strategy to archive. And that's an ongoing conversation because I I know I've been scrambling, trying to keep up with the evolution of hard drives on computers and the storage devices, because uh, your, your advice about buying an external hard drive for a laptop is very important. It's a USB drive, right? Well, and eventually, that's going to go away. Right. And People those, will say, what, what's USB? USB. Yeah. Well, that's back in the, you know, in the mid, uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> so, it's not, you, you just have to be aware that you, you have to keep those data files, those digital files on the latest platform. So, the answer is, of course, ultimately, 
and and conveniently everything's going to be on the the cloud, cloud right yeah yeah it's getting there yeah so once we get over our privacy uh, issues <laughs> which uh, which is not, not really no laughing matter really but once we get over those and we start actually trusting the cloud providers that might be the that might be the solution cuz let them worry about the updating the right. technology and they have the redundancy because you know exactly the, those wedding pictures you took back in the 60s those are important you know oh yeah and, and you know, and that's what I tell people. You know, make sure and redundant. And, and we could do a whole show on just server backups. I do three backups, or I'm going to do three backups. I'm going to buy another uh, box. It's like a, it's a little. Uh, you lock it. It's fireproof. Mm, yes. Because right now I have one in the home mm-hmm. that I back up my server, and I just I, I use something on the Mac. It's called uh, CC. It's Carbon Cloner, and mm. it just clones it, and I just put it. Intermittently, every other week, I'll, I'll make a clone. But still, they're all in the house. Yeah, right. it's fireproof. Well, I don't know if I trust the fireproof. Exactly. The outside's plastic. So, right. So I made my bank get a safe deposit box and put another one there. I, uh, that's a good strategy. And that goes back to file management. Is, yeah. is, is thinking through the end result. Uh, not not where you are at this particular moment, but where you'll be in three or four years and, and managing thousands and thousands of images. And how do you protect them from theft or fire or what have you? I go uh, to show you, I started freelancing uh, in 96 more big time. So I have files on my server mm-hmm. from 1996. You know, that's funny. I, I, I have files that go that far back, but I've, I, I've had to update them, you know, to mm-hmm. the new format. I mean, I have Word Perfect files. Oh, yes. okay. That I've converted to Word documents or other other formats. So I totally get it. But some people just don't want to mess with it. They don't want right. to have that. They don't want to learn that skill set. That's fine. But make sure that somebody is doing it for you. Right. Because you know where it saves me? I, my client, uh, Lolly, she uh, contacted me uh Earlier this summer, she goes, do you still have the cover from 2012? We do this function. It's called the Latinas in Business here in this area. Mm-hmm. And I go, yeah. She goes, oh, thank you. That saves me from recreating that right. cover again. So right. we used it for a flyer. So I keep these things. And I keep them accessed. And that's why I've stayed with Adobe because I came to this thing because it was like, okay, I started off from college in freehand. And when I worked at the Times Delta, I had to use freehand, but then there was Adobe and then you have to say, okay, which one is going to win? Win, And it, of course, Adobe. Right. And so I'm with them <laughs> like it or not. Right. You're, you're in bed with them. Uh, I had the same uh, discussion with Quark, Quark oh, Express. Oh, God, yes. Um, and PageMaker at the time. Now, uh, anyway, so uh, back to workflow. We talked about understanding and, and developing your skill sets so you know how to use equipment. So the first step is acquisition, knowing how to – and then the second thing is, you know, beginning with the end in mind, what, what's your file management strategy? Right. And then the third step is your image preparation and getting the basics of the image, making sure it's, you know, properly exposed and white balance and you remove spots and that type of thing. And then the fourth step was, you know, enhance the image to make it the the image that you intended it to be, what your eye saw or what you wanted to do with that image through the artistic elements, what I call the art, artistic edge. And this is the fun part. This is where you can turn and become 
you know, that talented artist that's inside of you and you can make that image different. Where plugins like Nick and Topaz and On One and On One's plugins can help you is that they can give you ideas, mm-hmm. perhaps. They and I heard one guy call him that's like riding a bicycle with training wheels. You know, once you get to learn how to ride the bicycle, you can take the training wheels off. I still use Nick a lot for their silver effects. You know, that's that seems to be a world worldwide a, a very popular an effective way to convert your images into black and white and grayscale. And they do a nice job. But uh, it's also a great way just to play what if, you know, and, and experiment with the artistic style. And then once you develop your skill set even further in Photoshop, using adjustment layers and other masking techniques, you can reproduce those um, outcomes or those effects from uh, the, like the presets or what have you. And you you could reduce the noise and you can avoid the halos because you have a lot more control. Right. Not to say that those uh, plugins don't have those, but you just need to, you know, there's sliders and buttons and those, pre- oh, yes. those that you need to learn. It's like learning a new language, a new language. You got to learn the Nick language or the Topaz language or the on one language. How many languages do you want to learn? That's why the default for me is Adobe. Yes. And, and you know, and I'm going to bring up a point real quick that I, and it, boggles my mind i would do the black and white conversion in lightroom mm-hmm. it has two extra sliders and i don't know which first the last one I, I i just updated it again uh one day for the heck of heck of it i i didn't do it i brought in the uh, the thing in color because it was frustrating me brought into photoshop well photoshop has that same thing it's an adjustment layer right has two less uh, options. I I got a better black and white image, and I'm scratching my head, and I start thinking, maybe too many buttons and sliders. After a while, you'll drive yourself crazy right. to fine tune it, where less can be more. And I got a better image. It's all, yeah. It's all about the image in the end, not how many buttons and whistles you had to push to get it. It's really so. so yeah. The final final step is the output. Output. And this is where your choices really come to roost. Yes. Because if, if you've chosen a color space uh, and a resolution that's not particularly suited for print, you're going to pay the price because you didn't plan ahead. Or you're going to have to scramble and, and figure that out. So knowing how this image is going to be displayed or, or the... So using the color space... Uh, the resizing of it, yes. You know, you take it to the printer, and they'll say, "Well, it's not doesn't have enough resolution," or you know, what they're really saying is to you, it's it's not enough information in the file to create a twenty by thirty or a twenty four by thirty, or whatever, or a mural. So you need to understand uh, what the pixels pixels per inch on the monitor and the dots per inch DPI for a printer, what those terms mean. You need to know how to use. Uh, the printer profiles, if you really want to control the color and, and manage that printing process. And you need to understand that printers of today, even though they've come a long way, still cannot reproduce faithfully the entire color spectrum that your eye or the camera can, uh, can see. Can see. Yes. So there's a limitation there. And then, uh, you know, apply sharpening at the very end. The very end. The very, yes. That's the last thing you do. Uh, and so you have you have a you have a file you know a photo a Photoshop document a PSD, 
And from that file, you make you can make a variety of variations. You know, if you're going to put this thing on the web, you want to have a, a low resolution, like a 72 or a 96 a PPI resolution. But if it's going to the print job, maybe a 300 a DPI or PPI in that case. But if it's a really large image, you can get away with 150. So if you don't understand all these terms and all these concepts, that's something you need to dive into. Oh, yes, because you, you really need to know your output. And that really, God, we would have stuff when I worked at Jocelyn's. The student did his beautiful job in this uh, Photoshop rendering. Mm -hmm. And see, uh, where I work, I work with both uh, vector images from Adobe Illustrator and, of course, your pixel-based images in Photoshop. The difference is a vector-based image, like when I draw something in Adobe Illustrator, I could scale it to the size of a 10-foot by 20-foot wall. It does, it's all mathematical equations. Right. Pixels, uh, the student did this beautiful, he did it all in 72 DPI. Oh, no. Well, at the time, we wanted 206 DPI at 11. I can't remember the line screen. So what happens your image will look fuzzy right? because it did not have enough resolution for your output. Just, so, yeah, not and, enough information there to faithfully transmit the image. Yeah, it's true. So you have to look at that because you can't just stick back images, pixels. It's like I always right. work with the biggest image I got because if I'm going to go to the web, then I'll make it smaller later. Right. But if I decide, oh, I want to send it up to Bay Photo, get right. a, a 20 by 30 it has the right, right it has the right, right resolution where i don't have to go back to the beginning right. and try to remember all the processing i did so if you save your final piece as a psd yes you have all the flexibility it, yes. it's, it has all the layers you can do anything with that image you can upsize it within reason you can downsize mm -hmm. it within reason you can have higher resolution, you have lower resolution, do anything. It gives you a lot of flexibility. So save it as a PSD. PSD, please. And then yes. make another copy that is for the intended destination. Exactly. Uh, when I was teaching uh, Photoshop to these girls uh, that worked for my friend Anthony when he had his photo studio here in Visalia, I told, it's it's one of those things don't do this. And what did she do? She did the thing that I told her not to do. And she calls me up. She goes, Hey, can you come over? I have problems with this image. This girl's hair is blue. I was like, okay. So I went over there. As soon as she opened it up, I turned to her. You've been working in JPEG. Yeah, I know you told me not to do it. I said, how many times did you save it? Oh, I, I did your advice. Every five minutes I hit save. Oh my goodness. So it just compressed, compressed and compressed. You know, that's like uh, the analogy is taking an old uh, VHS tape and copying it and copying it yes. and copying it and copying it and copying it. And finally, after five or six copies, your VHS is, uh, uh, you can't even tell what's on it. Yes. Yes. So, so, so JPEG's doing the same thing. Right. It's reducing the quality every time you save it. When you open it as a JPEG and save it as a JPEG and then open that second JPEG and save it again and save it again. You won't have that with a PST. You could save right. that thing a million times. Right. It just goes, oh, great. I think well, that was good for today's show. All right. But there's, there's going to be things I want to revisit. And and I haven't done it. It's these raw processors. By then, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to try to use uh, 
capture one. There's on one, capture, capture one, one right. right? Phase one. Too many ones. Right. And I'm I'm gonna try to figure out is there one better than the other one? Or I just may just go back to the ACR thing yeah. in Photoshop. Yeah. So, Stay tuned. Yeah. So great. So where can we find you, Joe? You can find me on the website, www.brightangelimages.com or Facebook with the same name and uh, Gmail, same name. Okay. And uh, Instagram, I think there's a hyphen between Bright Angel and Images in that particular. Someone else already beat me to it, oh. I guess. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Yeah, you can find me here at AvilaStudios.com and Tony Avila at 64 at uh, Instagram and of course now Aperture Priority Podcast on Facebook. Hopefully there'll still be a Facebook when this goes up. It's not going to go away. (laughs) But thanks again, Joe, for coming. Great conversation. And again, I want everybody to go out and open up that Aperture and let that creative light in. Thank you. Aperture Priority is an Avila Studios production. For more information on what Avila Studios has to offer, please visit us on the World Wide Web at avilastudios.com.